This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. It was made, Gordon. There were some folks who thought maybe the Nets would fall into the play-in situation. Didn't seem like that for a little while, yeah. I'm raising my hand because I thought they would be seventh. I did, but Jacques Vaughn has done a tremendous job. We'll find out what to expect in this series from a guy who does a tremendous job covering the Nets all year and the NBA as well. He is Christian Winfield, does a great job covering the Nets for the Daily News. Christian, Hardesty and Damer, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, just taking it easy. You know, it's a couple of days of practice for the Nets. Well, the Nets are actually off tomorrow, so got a couple practice days here, and then I'm getting ready to hit the road to Philadelphia. How you guys doing? We're doing great. We're doing great, Chris. All right, um, let's start at the beginning. How did we get here from this trade? I mean, when we and you and I—we've spoken a couple of times. When when that trade yeah. was made to get rid of Durant and Kyrie Irving, I don't think a lot of people expected the Nets to be in the sixth spot. I know I didn't. No, you know, and and Jacques Jacques Vaughn said something pretty profound uh, not too long ago. He said, if you take a look at the teams that are under us in the standings, they all have that superstar caliber player. And we're the ones here who've locked in the guaranteed playoff spot. Meanwhile, the Hawks and the Heat are playing for, you know, the seventh seed right now. So it, it goes to show you just what kind of coach Jacques Vaughn is to be able to kind of take, you know, we talked about last year and how kind of the Nets just had a, a flurry of just never-ending things happening. And then some, something similar happens this year where, you know, seven games in, Steve Nash is out, Jacques Vaughn is in, and then, couple weeks go by, Kevin Durant gets hurt, Kyrie Irving requests a trade, and now you've got a whole new starting five kind of in a week span. And that team at that point was 12 games above 500, and their goal, you know, when Sean Mark spoke to the media that day after the trades, I asked him, hey, do you feel like this is still a playoff caliber team? Is it your expectation that this team is still going to be in the playoffs at the end of the year? And he said yes, and credit to the Nets. Here they are. You know, this is a team that is leaning on what it does well, which is play fast, get up a lot of threes, play defense, you know, and and live with the results, you know. And and Jacques Vaughn has done an amazing job in just getting these guys all on the same page. That's been the biggest thing all year since the trade deadline, right? You know, we've got a lot of talented guys, but even just boiling it down to the language, guys refer to different plays using different terms in different systems, right? So what Mikhail Bridges was calling one place, Spencer Dinwiddie was calling something else in Dallas, and the Nets had a totally different, you know, phrase for it here in Brooklyn, and now everything has been streamlined. Jacques has been just trying to keep things as simple as possible, and, and it's worked. He's, this team is playing to their strengths, right? They're playing fast. They're, they're trying to defend all five positions. Um, granted, the task ahead of them is stopping Joel Embiid, which, I mean, I don't think anybody's found a way to do that so far, but credit to this Nets team, they feel like they have an opportunity to make it a competitive series, right? And that's all you can ask for. All right, so you hit on it there, Christian. Uh, How do they plan to at least attack Embiid? Whether or not they're successful, we'll leave that for another time. But how do they plan to go about (laughs) it with with, uh, Embiid? You know, this is what I wrote about uh, for the New York Daily News today. You know, Joel Embiid averages close to 33 points a game. But, uh, you know, a third of those points, 10 points a game, he gets from the foul line, right? The Nets want to get rid of those, all the fouls that he's going to get that they don't necessarily have to give. He's going to get to the line on his own, of course, but some of the ones where it's a swipe through or he, he's kind of just – he's crafty. For a guy his size, he's just – like he the way he contorts his body sometimes is just beyond me. Uh, and the Nets are very aware of that. So they're trying to – 
not let him get to the line as much. And it sounds like it's, oh, it's, it's easier said than done, which, yes, it is. But when you consider a third of his points are coming with nobody guarding him, and he's shooting 86% from the foul line, right? So the Nets are well aware of that. They, they want to limit those attempts. But also, they're going to show different coverages. And, you know, Mikhail Bridges said something along the lines of, you guys will see you on Saturday. We don't want to show you too much. Uh, Jacques Vaughn said, hey, you know, we're, we're going to be a team that adjusts pretty much as the, as the Sixers start to roll out what type of offense they're going to have. I think we're going to learn a lot about, you know, how this team is going to attack Joel Embiid in game one. But at the same time, how are they going to adjust? This is Doc Rivers we're talking about, right? This is a, a different caliber of head coach in terms of guys who've been there and won at a high level. It's a great challenge for, for Jacques Vaughn. Um, but, again, it all starts with Joel Embiid. And it's a handful, right, because you look at the matchup, it's Nick Claxton, and Nick Claxton was a defensive player of the year candidate earlier this season, but it's just that size that Embiid has, 7 feet, 280 pounds. you got to send multiple guys at him, but once you send a, multi- a second person at him, somebody else is open, and the Sixers are that type of team where they've played together so long that they know how to make those second passes. So it's going to be a tough task, uh, but the, the Nets are up to it, so I guess we'll see what they've got on Saturday. Christian and Christian Winfield's our guest is Hardesting and Damer in for Grasso on 98.7 ESPN. Christian Winfield covers the Nets for the Daily News. All right, Christian, here's the interesting thing for me in this series. It's James Harden, okay? James Harden does not have the best reputations for performances in the postseason. He's sure. going against his former team. What, what can we expect? What, what, does, what does the Nets brain trust expect from James Harden? Is it still going to be you know, pass the ball and do the pick and roll thing with he and Embiid, which has been very successful, especially the second half of the year? Or are they going to put in, and I've noticed, uh, put Mikael Bridges on him to try to, you know, do some things where he's shooting over a taller defender? You know, that's a great question. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets tried something along the lines of maybe forcing James Harden to win a game for the Sixers, if that makes sense, right? Like, when we see some of how the Nets have approached, especially the games in the latter stretch of the season, where you've got guys like Nikola Jokic or Sabonis or, or some of these star players, you know, the, the stars will, will get off, but, but the Nets will try to make some of those other players win some of those games for you. For example, when the Nets lost uh, to the Denver Nuggets, sure, uh, Nikola Jokic had a triple-double, but Michael Porter Jr. had something like 28 points and nine rebounds in that game. And, and that's something that the Nets have spoken about to us in the media. I'm sure that they're talking about it amongst themselves, themselves, specifically with these marquee matchups and guys like, like Embiid. Who's the other guy that you can help off of that can force you, that, that you can try to make a team beat you with? And that's the issue with Philadelphia is they just have so many different options. If not Embiid, you've got Harden. If not Harden, you've got Maxi. If not Maxi, you've still got Tobias Harrison off the bench. You've got De'Anthony Melton. There's a lot of guys that can get you a bucket on that team. And I think that the Nets would almost rather maybe die by James Harden's sword than Joel Embiid's in many ways because Joel Embiid is just so dominant that if you give him those opportunities down low, he's going to capitalize. To your point, we've seen Harden come up short in the playoffs. We've seen him, you know, turn the ball over for stretches at a time, go cold when it matters, right? So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Nets are, are kind of playing some sort of or, or at least switching in and out of different types of defensive looks that maybe make James Harden feel like he's open and really they're playing into his hand, into the, into it really he's playing into their hands. Um, but that goes to show you what type of coach Jacques Vaughn is. I mean, I, I think they're, the Nets are going to give the Sixers a handful in terms of what they can do defensively because you consider Mikhail Bridges, 
Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton, all those guys are interchangeable defensively. They can switch and, and pick up, aside from Embiid, right? You don't want Dinwiddie ending up on Embiid. But everybody else on the floor is switchable, right? So that gives them a lot of creativity. I, I can't wait to see what they end up doing with it. And it feels like the Nets now with this new look, they, they have a bunch of, of really good athletes on the wing. Sure. Um, does does that length that they have there, Are they? how would they be able to uh, to kind of exploit that against the Sixers team? Oh, on both ends of the floor. Number one, this is a team that wants to play fast, right? It's the only way you're going to be able to survive in a game with Joel Embiid on the floor, right? Can you run him up and down the floor uh, and, and hope eventually he wears out? But on the defensive end, just like I touched on in switching, I mean, you've got three guys right there in Finney Smith, Cam Johnson, and Mikael Bridges who are about that six foot eight, six foot nine height. And those guys can guard two, three, four, right? And, and on top of that, you know, it's it, it, really shows itself a little bit more maybe against a guy like Giannis when you're trying to set up that quote-unquote wall, right? Because when all those guys stretch their arms out, now he's seeing, okay, six foot eight, six foot eight, six foot eight, and then Claxton at six foot ten. It's tough for Embiid. I, I think there is help there because when you send that double team, especially if you're going to want to do so without fouling, those guys are going to have their hands up and they're going to be close. Um, I, I think it'll help them, especially kind of when you consider guarding guys like James Harden and – you know, Tyrese Maxey, all of them, actually. This is going to be an interesting matchup. It's going to be a chess match just to see the different types of rotations that guy, that, that Jock Vaughn goes with because he hinted today that, you know, you talk about cutting your rotation in the playoffs, but the Nets have so many different players who've played playoff minutes that you kind of can't pigeon your whole, pigeonhole yourself into one lineup. And then on top of that, you got a guy in Cam Thomas who can come off the bench and maybe give you 25 out of nowhere. So, uh, to your point, the the length and the versatility and athleticism helps in terms of, you know, crashing rebounds, crashing the glass, which is an area this team has struggled in, turning that into maybe transition offense. But defensively, you're being able to show guys wingspan, right? And, and that'll deter different six of scorers from maybe trying to drive to the basket. Hey, Christian, compare the, uh, compare the coaches for me in this series. Because as you know, the series goes on and, and you, they know your plays, you know their plays, especially a team where you see in your division – so you see them a lot. Uh, from the coaching standpoint, who who has the edge in this series? You know, that's interesting. Um, you, you're inclined to go with Doc Rivers just because won a championship, just has all this history and pedigree as a head coach. We know who he is. But from a Nexus and O standpoint, there's really just a finite number of games that this Nets team has played together, right? And the advantage in that is Philadelphia can't really prepare for what they haven't come across versus the Nets having played against Joel Embiid and James Harden multiple times. We know who James, we know who Joel Embiid is at this point, right? We know who James Harden is. We know who T Tyrese Maxey is becoming. P.J. Tucker is a guy who's going to guard both ends of the floor. Tobias Harris is who he is, right? And we know how they play off of one, one another. The, the Sixers don't necessarily know how the Nets are going to play just yet, just because it's so new. So, so it's an interesting matchup. Uh, Jacques Vaughn was talking a little bit today about how it's funny that you mentioned this, you know, how he played under Doc. He played for Doc Rivers in 2002, 2003, that season with the Orlando Magic. And uh, he said, you know, watching Doc Rivers coach Tracy McGrady, you know, showed him what it takes to coach stars in this league, how to hold them accountable um, and, and kind of set a good example for the other players on the roster. And I'm sure he used that this season while coaching Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving said in Brooklyn, hey, you know, Jacques is a guy who's going to hold you accountable. If not, he's going to pull you out of the game. So it, it's an interesting matchup uh, from that regard, kind of like a, a teacher versus the student in a way. Uh, but 
you know, Doc just has been here so many times before. And on top of that, uh, Mikhail Bridges is a guy who this is his first real time in the driver's seat of an offense. And, and I asked him today if he's ready for what exotic defenses are going to look like. And he said, hey, I don't know what exotic defenses mean. You know, that's what Kevin Durant used to call it when, a, when an opponent would pretty much sell out defensively to, to send two or three at him. Uh, and I'm not sure we're going to see a triple team coming Mikhail Bridges' way, but he's going to be the focal point of that Sixers scouting report. So it'll be interesting to see how he handles that pressure and how Jacques Vaughn has him ready for what Doc Rivers is going to have for him. Kristen, last one for me. Uh, not that the Nets would be satisfied with what they've done, but is there any sense from the team that they realize that all the pressure is going to be on the Sixers in this series? Yeah, you know, in a way, that's kind of the question I asked uh, Jacques Vaughn. You know, it, it felt like the entire organization could just take a breath and exhale once they locked up that sixth seed, right? Because to, to have gone through the season they went through and to still finish in a, in a space where you don't have to compete. Like, like I said earlier, there are four teams right now with bona fide franchise pillar superstar players that are in the Eastern Conference that don't have their playoff seed locked in right now and the nets aren't one of them so in in many ways yes the, the season is a success when you consider you know the championship aspirations went out the window with the trade deadline and they had to refine their identity and all that um but this team still feels like it's not a a series that's been decided yet you know they feel like there's there's a win to have here and you know if they're able to go to philadelphia and steal a game Coming back to Brooklyn, I think that would give them enough momentum to feel confident that they can beat the Sixers team. So these first two games are going to be really interesting. Now, actually securing that win is a different is a different animal than the idea of winning on the road. But uh, this is, I don't think the Nets are, are, are complacent. I don't think they're satisfied, if that answers your question. I think they want more, and I think you're going to see it from this team in the first round. Christian, uh, we understand the starters and everything. Who's the player? That, that that has to that's under the radar who if he can perform well gives the nets an, another weapon a fighting chance that we we're, we're not thinking of right now when we look at, at at the starters or or the matchups in this series i've got two for you uh one is seth curry right he comes off the bench and he kind of flies under the radar because you've got this starting five set and then all the talk is about cam thomas and all the 40 point games he can come up but doc rivers is his father-in-law and just traded him for, for James Harden right a year ago. And I, I know you're saying, okay, maybe that's outside of his control, but you know, that's a, that's a real, a real situation there where Seth Curry is coming back in to face his former team play against his father-in-law, right? Like that's a situation where Seth Curry could end up averaging something close to like 16 or 17 points in this series, just off emotions. Right. So, so that's one guy that I, I'm looking forward to. He's a guy who, Jacques Vaughn has said time and time again that he likes as that first guard off the bench. And I'm expecting him to get some at least early significant minutes unless, you know, Jacques kind of senses that, okay, maybe we need more scoring and he goes with Cam Thomas. Um, but there's another guy who I wouldn't be surprised to see get some minutes on this team um, in this series, and that's Edmund Sumner. Edmund Sumner is a guy who can really push the pace, and he just creates a different type of energy with his ability to slash to the rim. Um, he's a guy who's been able to come in and oftentimes just inject life into this Nets team when called upon. The Nets have a lot of guys who are just like, you know, maybe we're accustomed to playing early minutes. Royce O'Neal is another one, was a starter early in the season, 
was second in minutes played uh, for the first leg of the season behind Kevin Durant before they started to load manage some of the guys. Now he finds himself coming off the bench, but he's a guy who, after today's shoot around, you know, he he was shooting half court shots. You know, he was shooting in a, in a corner shoot around with Dorian Finney Smith. These are guys who who are you know veteran battle tested guys who could uh, make a big difference in the playoffs when they're called upon. Should be an interesting series, Christian, and we'll uh, watching be watching you to figure out how it goes. Thanks for a couple of minutes, my friend. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. All right, you, you got it. That's Christian Winfield of the Daily News. Gordon and I will be back to unpack some of what he said next on 98.7 ESPN. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Have you thought about it? Have you thought about it? They're trying There's to wear no, you down. No, no definitive answer on, uh, on on either side, no. They're trying to wear you down, Gordon. <laughs> and they're, they're very successful at it. <laughs> so eventually they'll get, they'll get to Disney right. World. They just got to be right once. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's what the Jets are hoping. Eventually, Aaron Rodgers will have that press conference at Florham Park where he can say, here, I made it. And to find out what the latest is going on there, we turn to friend of the show, I haven't had a chance to talk to him for a while, but I know he's been on with Gordon a lot. He is the SNY NFL insider. He's Connor Rogers. Connor, Larry Hardenstein, Gordon Damer. How are you? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. How are you? We're doing great. We're doing great. All right, Connor. What's the latest? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, listen, I wish there was an update here as these two sides uh, stare each other down. I think it's funny to watch how differently – They've handled it publicly, whether it's Joe Douglas on a stage yelling that Aaron Rodgers is coming to town. And then you look at the Packers all the way up at the top with their president saying, you know, that, hey, Joe Douglas and Brian Gutekinds are talking. Talks are ongoing. So this thing has dragged out a lot longer than anybody expected. But when you look at it, quite simply, guys, there's no deadline until really the NFL draft. That's our next deadline where the Packers, Uh, want, obviously, capital in this year's draft so they can use those draft selections to help the quarterback they're moving forward with in Jordan Love. And obviously the Jets are being stingy here. They're not offering 13. That's never going to happen as far as I know. They have picks 42 and 43. I'm not convinced they would package those picks in a trade. I think one would be offered. And that's still a top 50 pick that Green Bay would have in this draft. And then when you look at the 2024 compensation the conditional terms are going to be very, very detailed in that. Does it start at a third-round pick and it can make its way uh, all the way up to a first-round pick? That's what I'm personally expecting or thinking makes the most sense. It could escalate on stats and playing time. It could escalate on if Aaron Rodgers is with the team longer than a year. It can escalate on something as far as a conference championship or Super Bowl appearance. So I think the structure of the deal is not overall exactly hard to figure out. It's just a matter at what point – are the Packers ultimately going to cave to what the Jets have been holding firm with for so long? Connor, if I gave you three options, at the draft, shortly after the draft, or well after the draft, where would you be putting your money on when this eventually gets done? At the draft. I just think, when I, and I know some people don't agree with that, I just think Green Bay needs to get an asset in this year's draft because if you don't, and you bet all the – because this deal's going to get done eventually, right? He is owed a $60 million signing bonus. Uh, Green Bay is not going to pay that. And I know it's not due until, you know, the end of summer, but they don't want this to linger as they move towards a new era as well. So, 
I think when you look at it, there's motive. I would think there's motivation there by Green Bay to want that draft asset, asset in this year's draft that they've had conversations about. And then you get the deal done so you can use that this year. Because if, if all your picks are in 2024 and beyond, well, the Aaron Rodgers-led Jets are expected to be a pretty good football team. So you're actually devaluing the assets you're getting back, assuming those picks are at the end of the round, barring him getting hurt or something going catastrophically wrong. So I do think there's motivation from each side to get this done before the draft. But right now it feels like they're content dragging it out these next couple of weeks. Connor, uh, how how much of a role does Aaron Rodgers have in deciding what the compensation is? As an example, if he go, if he says I'm playing for two years, does that change what Green Bay wants from the Jets? I think so, and I think Rodgers is the type of guy that'll never come out and say that because he truly lives year to year on his decision with football, as we've seen over the last couple of years. A man that said he was 90% leaning towards retirement this year. Uh, when he went into the darkness, and I think, but you, you know, you bring up a really interesting point: is how much does he determine uh, a lot of the leverage here? If Aaron Rodgers came out and said, "Here's my list of teams," if Aaron Rodgers came out and said, "I'd love to go play for the 49ers, the Jets, uh, maybe Carolina," before they made that move all the way up to number one, and Green Bay was really proactive when not even the new league year started, but before that. This thing could have got really interesting, and this thing could have turned into what I would call a bidding war. But the fact that it's just the Jets, Aaron Rodgers has publicly said on the Pat McAfee show he plans on playing for the Jets. Then Green Bay sitting there and going, well, you know, now we don't really have any other suitors because he came out and said that. And it's up to him because if we send him somewhere he doesn't want to go, then he just threatens to retire. And every team knows that. So the leverage arguments got a little bit crazy to me. And yes, there is leverage from both sides because Green Bay does have his contract rights. But at the end of the day, him publicly saying where he wants to go, he does have that control. And that's why Green Bay is not able to get a first round pick in this year's draft and maybe not even a concrete first round pick beyond this year's draft. Connor, it's not now, it's not soon, but where, when is the time where it's a pressure point for the Jets? Ooh, I mean, training camp, right? That's it. Like, Aaron Rodgers is not a guy that typically goes to OTAs in, in this part of his career. Uh, and, yes, there's the whole, well, you know, he, he needs to get on sync with his new teammates. Aaron Rodgers can fly out Garrett Wilson, and, and he was working out with Alan Lazard, by the way, like this week. But he can fly out Garrett Wilson and whoever else he wants and throw to them. There's nothing stopping him from doing that. And OTAs are not that different from when quarterbacks have private workouts with their wide receivers anyway. So, it's training camp. It's absolutely training camp. You want to get him here. It's the Jets with Woody Johnson. They, they want the big press conference. They want to celebrate this. And obviously there is a little bit of a trickle effect as we've already saw pass them by, you know, some veteran players left on the market will be motivated, motivated by a team that has Aaron Rodgers, the Jets team that has Aaron Rodgers. So as you're trying to shore up or better and chase some depth moves, whether it's interior defensive line, uh, a wide receiver with Odell Beckham was interesting, but Beckham got a deal that just, you know, really blew everyone else's offers out of the water. So that doesn't really count anymore. But I think it's absolutely training camp right now. Connor, how, how much pressure is on Joe Douglas here, not only to complete this deal, and as Gordon said, even the Jets can't mess this up, but to complete this deal, <laughs> but also to make sure that you have the right complementary pieces to make this to make this work. Because here's, here's the pressure. When he walks in the door, they're expected to be in the Super Bowl, Connor. 
Yeah, it's a ton of pressure. There's no denying it. I mean, let's let's call it what it is. He missed at number two in the draft a couple of years ago with Zach Wilson, and this is the alternate route to solving the quarterback in the short term with the roster that he feels like he built to win now. And they haven't been overly proactive in free agency. Yes, they went out and got Lazard. They recently got Quentin Jefferson to sure up the pass rush rotation, but they still need a run-stopping defensive tackle. They still need a starting center. They don't have one on the roster. They need a left tackle of the future after a 38-year-old Dwayne Brown decides to maybe stop playing after 2023, and we'll see if he could stay healthy this year, even though he gutted through a shoulder injury last year. And, you know, obviously you praise him for that, but the health concerns on the offensive line between him, Mekhi Becton, and Max Mitchell are very real. Elijah Vera Tucker's coming back from a season-ending injury. Lakin Tomlinson wasn't very good. So the pressure starts now when you're having meetings about the NFL draft where you need to hit it out of the park. You need to come away with it's probably two offensive linemen, right? You need a starting center unless you go out and get this deal done with Ben Jones, who missed time last year, so you'd still need a center in the draft. You probably maybe need a depth piece at running back. You obviously uh, might need to add to the back end of your defense because you have two strong safeties. How are they going to complement each other? So this is a good roster, but there's a lot of work left to be done. And the Aaron Rodgers trade, you know, being on hold right now shouldn't stop them from doing the rest of uh, gathering the rest of those pieces. And that's why this draft, especially having currently three picks in the top 50, I ultimately think it'll be two picks in the top 50, is monumental. We're talking with Connor Rogers here about the Jets, but also, of course, about the NFL draft. Uh, to, so to shift the, to the Jets pick at 13, and I got to give Connor credit. I mean, it was it feels like years ago, but it was months ago when the first Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, bubble started to, to, to pop up with the Jets. And you said back then, no, the Jets won't give up that 13th pick. They won't trade their number one pick for him. And you were absolutely right. And they won't. Uh, but who do you think the Jets end up tabbing with that 13th pick? Who do you have eyes on there? I think the top of the offensive line class, I don't know if a guy like Peter Skaronsky will make it to them, but Paris Johnson, the tackle from Ohio State, Broderick Jones, the tackle from Georgia. I'm curious to see how they view their in-house group right now because there's a guy like Darnell Wright out there that's going to go in the top 20 picks. He's a true right tackle only. So did the Jets look at their situation and go, you know what, we'll take Darnell Wright because we like the talent and we'll have Beckton and Dwayne Brown figure it out on the left side amongst each other in camp, uh, depending mostly on health with those two guys. So, I think the top of the offensive line class makes a ton of sense, but I wouldn't ever rule out edge pass rush. This is a Robert Sala-led football team. You look at the units he had with the 49ers. Carl Lawson was good last year. He wasn't great. Bryce Huff, they had a limited role. He was really good in it. But can he take that next step and be a three-down player? They, they don't know that yet. Jermaine Johnson, first-round pick of last year. Solid as a rookie, not spectacular, but a lot of edge rushers don't really come out of the gate firing in their first year. So, the Jets with Robert Sala, they will always be thinking two years ahead with the edge pass rush class. This is a pretty, pretty deep group. So I wouldn't rule that out yet. But Joe Douglas has been trying to rebuild this offensive line five across for a couple of years now. They're not done yet. And that seems to be where the value of that top 15 pick stands. Connor, I have a question that's going to make you laugh. Ready? Let's do it. Uh, where does Zach Wilson fit in all this? <laughs> you did get me on that. Yeah, I know. It's the golden question. And listen, let's be real. There's a history here with Joe Douglas not waving the white flag on draft picks, right? And he'll limit their roles. I mean, you look at them missing on Denzel Mims, but never cut or traded him, just got other wide receivers to play over him. You look at them, unfortunately, it's due to health, but it still counts as a miss. With Makai Becton, you go out and get other players that can hold the four down a tackle. I mean, there's deeper examples as well that from later rounds. 
I don't think they're just going to cut or trade Zach Wilson. There's no trade value there. I don't think they're interested in cutting him for no reason at all. They completely sat out the backup quarterback market. Sure, they brought in a guy like you know Tim Boyle, but when it comes down to it, I mean, they didn't go out and get a, a backup quarterback for $5 million or whatever it is or somebody that certifies themselves over the depth chart over Zach Wilson. I think when you look at a guy like Tim Boyle, he's not even guaranteed to stick to the final roster. So I think when it comes down to it, he's here to stay, and it seems crazy for a team that's built to win now to have a quarterback nearing 40 years old. If he misses what, guys? Say four to five games with a sprained ankle, is Zach Wilson coming in and needing to keep the season afloat? I am very fascinated by this storyline uh, once the offseason kind of concludes here. We got less than, uh, what is it, about two and a half weeks until the draft. Uh, it seems like the quarterbacks, Bryce Young and, and C.J. Stroud, go 1-2. Who's the next quarterback you think that comes off the board in a couple of weeks, and, and how high do you think that that third quarterback goes? I think it's right at three. I think somebody trades in to Arizona's pick at three. They're dying to get rid of it. Uh, they have a ton of holes on their roster. They'd probably love if the Colts would flip with them. They haven't been able to convince the Colts to do that yet. Is there a Tennessee out there? Is there a Washington out there uh, that are willing to come all the way up and pay the price for that? Arizona wants out of that selection. Whoever comes into it is taking a quarterback. It'll be Anthony Richardson, maybe Will Levis, but there's a really good chance it's Anthony Richardson with his tantalizing upside, the rushing, the deep throwing. Uh, so I think when you look at it, it it's going to go quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. And, and if the Colts aren't the team to move up to three, we could have a draft, guys, that starts off with four quarterbacks in a row, which is – Pretty crazy, but a very realistic scenario on the table right now. Connor, last one from me. I'm curious, where does uh, Quentin Williams fit in all this stuff? I mean, obviously, Aaron Rodgers is the main point. We get that. You got to get your quarterback and everything. But where, where does he fit in as far as them trying to maybe do something this year? Or do they put it on the back burner and try to wait until next year? What, what do you think? Because it's the way he played last year, what the price going for D tackles are, He's going to make a lot of money. He is. And I would do this one pretty soon if I was the Jets. You've seen Deron Payne on Washington. You've seen Jeffrey Simmons on Tennessee. What their deals look like, those are done. You have somebody like Dexter Lawrence. You have, have other top defensive tackles in the league that are going to get paid. I would not let this drag out into training camp or the season here, guys. Quinn Williams is a great player. He's 25 years old. He's a young team leader. He's gotten better every single year. There's maybe – Six guys in the NFL at the interior of the defensive line that can do what he does, whether it's the athleticism as rushing the passer or the ability to stop the run, one gap, two gap, whatever you need him to do. And he got here during some really, really dark times during the Jets era. He has been a positive, positive person uh, throughout that locker room. So you got to reward guys like that. Everybody in the locker room looks around and waits for it, and they see when you do, but more importantly, they see when you don't. So for the Jets, this is a big moment for them to extend an in-house star I think you're looking at a four-year, $95 to $100 million deal with at least $60 million guaranteed. So a pretty fat extension could be on the way for Quinn and Williams if the Jets decide to get this done. One last one for me, Connor. Uh, uh, Robinson, the running back, Bijan Robinson, does he go top 10 in the draft? Oh, man, that would shock me. Hey, he's a great player. He's a top 10 player. It feels like that buzz easily. is starting to, to circulate, you know? You, you start to get a read yeah. on these things a couple weeks out. You do. I mean, because you look at him, and this isn't a star-studded draft. It's just not, and he's one of them. So would, would Atlanta do that? I'd be surprised. They're the one, though, some people think. would The Eagles do it at mm -hmm. 10? No, 10. I think they'd come back up from 30 to do it instead. 
I don't think top 10, but I think he could have a team trade up into the top, I'll say 23 picks and go off the first round. And because he's just a no doubt top five player in this draft and, uh, and a safe, safe pick that'll bring playmaking in a class that doesn't really have a ton of it at running back and wide receiver at the top. Connor, great job as always. Thanks for a couple of minutes, my friend. And hopefully we'll see you at Florham Park with the SNY banner announcing Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Absolutely, guys. Always great talking to you. Thanks for having me. You got it. Take care. Connor Rodgers, SNY's NFL insider here on 9870 ESPN. All right. Your thoughts on what Gordon and, and I discussed with Connor Rogers? What do you think? 1-800-919-3776. I know what I think, Gordon. I'll share it with you in a minute on 9870 ESPN. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. And Hicks went two for four and scored two runs. That tells you that, that that's a blowout, Larry. That is officially a blowout. And it was such a – I mean, they scored so many runs, it actually felt like the game dragged. Yeah, it did. It's true. It did. Right? It did. It's like they're still playing this game? What? Yeah. Is this game over yet? I switched over to the Mets hours ago, it feels like. <laughs> but we'll take it. I mean, we, we need all the wins we can get. The uh, The Rays never oh, lose. 10-0. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's incredible. It's incredible. Nice tidy 11 runs on 13 hits for you guys, Gordon. Nice job there. Uh, it's just me, and I'm just, as an outsider, it's just me, okay? But it looks better with DJ at third. Yes, it, it does. It looks better than, than yes. Donaldson. It looks better, certainly yes. looks better than IKF. Yes, but yes, DJ, does. I, I make him the, the only problem, you, you know, the one thing that you have is that, you know, with DJ and his health history, history here the last few years, you really can't play him on a regular basis. So whenever Donaldson does get healthy again, he's going to play some and probably play more than he deserves based on mm-hmm. what he's done here the first couple of years. But And look, correct me if I'm wrong, and the Yankee fans can certainly correct me if I'm wrong at one 800 espn Has there ever been a time where LeMahieu has played third base and you're like, ah, you know what, Donaldson would have had that ball? No. I'm not even a fan of that. Right. I mean, there's never been a – and they talk – well, the Yankees talk, oh, it's defense, it's defense, it's defense. I don't know. It's it's good defense. I'm not telling you it's bad. Mm -hmm. He's not a butcher at third. Mm -mm. But I've never seen a play that he made that I'm like, well, DJ would not have gotten that one. And see, because he's not hitting, his defense has to be spectacular for you to pay off the dividend. Right. That's the other side. He's got to be Brooks Robinson after some of those at-bats. So and he's not. No. And, 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 look, his defense was fine. But this 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 um, thing about the – oh, he was a gold glove. He didn't even get nominated. He wasn't one of the top three people. No. No. Didn't in the it. league. It's not even in, in the majors. In the American League, he wasn't one of the top three. Yeah. Not good. Maybe, maybe, not good. maybe you guys are the biased ones. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, they're just pitching. They're just pitching a, pitching a campaign for him. He's not that bad. Yeah, he was. Well, uh, yeah, the, unfortunately, it's kind of hard to take the Yankees at their word. Yeah. Because there's times where they just dig in their heels about some. You know, IKF last year. Oh no, he's he's a he's a he's a Gold Glove level. His his the amount of runs he saves us, and then when it get, got down to brass tacks, his defense was not that great. Was good enough to not play yeah. <laughs> in the postseason when right. you really needed him. Yeah, and, and it feels like there's one or two of those things every single year where they try to convince you uh, the, uh, of something that's not really true, but it's the way they see it. 
and mm -hmm. um, it's kind of hard to take them at their word. Yep, no doubt about it. Mets are trailing 2-1. as San Diego bats in the top of the seventh. The Manny Machado two RBI double. The difference there, Mets getting their lone run on a Marcana RBI. Let's go to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Speaking of Marks, here's one in Newark. He joins us next on 98.7. What's going on, fellas? Hey, Mark. Hey. Okay, so two things. First, the Nets. I like that interview you had. That was uh, that was really good. I like what he said. He said a lot of similar things. That his name was Chris, right? Yeah. Chris he said a lot of similar things that I told you guys last week about Sumner, and he didn't mention Sharp, but I like Sharp's length and his his uh, energy as well. And he did. Uh, Jock did play those two guys the last game. Um, that was good to see. I don't know how uh, Jock's going to arrange it or whatever. And, I, I, again, nobody in the world is probably giving the Nets a shot, but I can't wait to watch them play because what they do well, they do well, and they play together. And that's been the mantra since they started gelling is let's just keep playing together. So I, I want to see that, and, and, I, and I'll throw my chips in the table with that point. On, on the, on the uh, Jets, I think the Jets made a mistake, not that – don't get me wrong. Not that I don't like Aaron Rodgers or don't want him. Aaron Rodgers is one of my favorite quarterbacks ever. Watch him play football. But I think that they made a mistake by going all in uh, bells, whistles, uh, flowers, candy, whatever it takes, but without even considering other options. That's the part that gets me, guys, is that without considering other options. And now – uh, it, it just feels it, it feels it, it stinks. It feels dirty. Uh, I don't know. I probably won't feel that way when Aaron gets the ball, and I and I'm sure I won't. But it just feels like they're just begging him to play. It, it's a bad look for this team. It's a bad look. I hear you, Mark. Thanks for the phone call. Yeah. Um, the only one of them, I'm sure Joe Douglas was looking at other people. That's why they brought Carr in. They were looking. Yeah, but who's to say they them. didn't consider? They they considered it privately, and then they they identified the one, the number one, and a clear number one in their eyes. But I'm sure they considered it. It's not yeah, like they, they got to the end of the offseason and, and Joe Douglas, wait a sec, Lamar Jackson's a free agent? Oh, I didn't realize. <laughs> no, I'm sure they considered it. But yeah. at the end of the day, they, they thought that one was a whole lot better than all the other ones. Yeah. And once again, that's who the owner wanted. So and he yeah. has he has he has more than one vote. Yeah, he no has he has the it. main vote. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and uh, he's using it <laughs> as he should, as he should, because he's the one that's writing the check. So yeah, that's and it's a, it's a big check, absolutely huge. That's why they want that press conference. We get those tickets rolling again, Gordon. We need those tickets. <laughs> you need those tickets sold, baby. We'll continue the conversation here. Hour number three is next on ninety-eight seventy ESPN.